Today we begin the second chapter of Hebrews and read just a few verses. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the message declared through angels was valid, and every transgression or disobedience received a just penalty, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first through the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard him. While God added his testimony by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Because this uh, seems a little obscure at first, I want to read it again in the message, which is Eugene Peterson's translation. Here it is. It's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. If the old message delivered by the angels was valid and nobody got away with anything, do you think we can risk neglecting this latest message, this magnificent salvation? First of all, it was delivered in person by the master, then accurately passed on to us by those who heard it from him. All the while, God was validating it with gifts through the Holy Spirit, all sorts of signs and miracles as he saw fit. It seems especially important today after the reading of this word that we recognize God's presence among us and pause and pray. The author is exhorting their audience to stay focused on what they know to be true, what God has shown and given. So at this moment, we want to pay attention to God's spirit among us. Let us pray. Holy and loving and perfect God, we acknowledge your living presence among us right now. Your word draws our focus and all we are to you, Jesus. And so we ask with great humility and with awe for you to guide us to the truths you want us to embrace from this passage. Allow us to be only attentive to you our eternal and mighty Savior. Protect us from distractions and selfishness. All we are depends on you through Christ our Lord. Amen. What is it that you pay attention to in life? Right now, in this time of your existence, what is your focus? If we think of our attention as being a finite resource because there's only so much of it, then we need to consider where we spend it. When we're growing up, adults are forever telling us to pay attention to our studies, to danger, to be more polite, to be more social, to what they think of as important and good to value. As we grow, there are many people and ideas and opportunities that beckon us, that draw us in. Pay attention to us, they yell all the time. We're pulled in several competing directions, sometimes in the same minute. I read a recent article in the Harvard Business Review this week about attention management. In it, they quote a pioneering psychologist named William James, who in 1890 summed up attention in one very simple statement. My experience 
is what I agree to attend to. My experience is what I agree to attend to. Now the writer of this current article says it in a different way. You must control your attention to control your life. The article was how it is that we practice the managing of distractions so that we can be present in the moment that we're in, so that we can find consistent workflow, so that we can unleash our genius, is what the article says. We shouldn't allow our distractions to derail us. Rather, we need to understand that life is about the choices we make. It's not necessarily about focus, but rather about taking control back over our time and priorities. So they offered solutions that we understand, like limiting technology and having boundaries with our environment and our time, and also how to keep our minds from wandering. This is sometimes the hardest part, isn't it? Daydreaming and going on mental tangents have their place, but being aware of how much we allow ourselves to lose focus is vital because of course there are consequences for not paying attention. In the spiritual life, the conversation is similar as we see from the preacher in Hebrews. This is a singular message about how vital it is to stay vigilant in our walk with Christ. How we should not neglect such a great salvation that we have been given. The writer even uses the threat of punishment here to convince us in case we've forgotten what will happen to those who choose to put their attention on anything except God in the long run. But what if we're bored? What if we're pretty sure we got the message and we don't need any reminders? What if the church isn't just the place that we want it to be or think it should be, and we're done there. What if we think we have evolved past where we see scripture takes us? What if we're tired? Have you seen our situation lately? What if we're just tired of paying attention? It's all too much. God understands. God says he always loves us. He, we know he's still going to be there. Come on, how much is expected of us? Let's remember what comes before these words in Hebrews 2. The writer reminds us Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels. Because of this, the therefore in the first verse of chapter 2 means because of all I just told you, you should pay more attention to your faith. Jesus is the king of glory. Those aren't just words that we say. Jesus is on the throne. And somehow, if we were thrust in front of him, there would be no question that we would pay attention in the brilliance of his splendor, we would see ourselves as we are. And everything would come into crystal clear focus and we would fall on our knees in homage and fear. 
we would be confronted with our actions and our regrets and shame as he extends his mercy. See, the author has just made a very solid argument about Christ being the king. And these four verses are the application. Like any good pastor, they're keeping it real for us. Because the truth is, we don't live in the physical manifestation, the reality of God's glory right now. We have to be encouraged and pushed to remember to have faith and to exercise that faith. Look again at verse 1 here. We have to pay greater attention to what we have heard and what we know to be true so we don't drift from him. If Christ is everything that the writer claims, we shouldn't let go of him or let anything take the place of who Jesus is in our lives. What an interesting image we get from the words drift away, like a boat that goes wherever the currents take it, like someone in a conversation whose attention wanders off to a seemingly better place, like being in class or church and drifting off to sleep, not anchored, not interested, not awake, aimless. If we don't focus on what the faith is, if we don't allow it to make an impact daily in our lives, it's easy to just drift away. Like people who used to be in love or who were so passionate about a hobby or an ideal or something they just couldn't get enough of. And then their interest faded. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, I used to do that. We all know people for whom this is true. Why, why does this happen? Here the writer suggests neglect, not paying attention. That pretty much sums it up. But that can't be the whole story, can it? Because we simply lost our focus and stopped paying attention. For some, yeah. Lack of caring can cause us to be adrift outright rebelliousness, a crisis that leads to an absolute lack of faith and we cut everything off. But what else makes us cut the ties? Often it's a competing message, which is what the writer of Hebrews has been emphasizing to us. Jesus in competition with other entities that are vying for our affection. In his introduction to um, this book in the message Eugene Peterson talks about how Hebrews is written for those of us who have added something to Jesus. We decide to improve on what we know to be true with something extra. We add on, we supplement, we embellish, except when we do this, Peterson says, instead of improving the purity and the simplicity of Jesus, we dilute the purity. We clutter the simplicity. We become fussily or anxiously religious, he says. We get in the way. Hebrews is written for us when we get too religious, when we become Jesus and kind of Christians. Jesus and angels. Jesus and Moses. Jesus and anything. 
this letter deletes the hyphens and the add-ons. It needs to be Jesus alone. What is it that Paul says in 2 Timothy? For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Again, is the story of Jesus passé? Do we want more? Do we think somehow the gospel has lost the ability to grab our hearts and minds? It's lost the ability to save people? Has it lost relevance for the harsh realities of life? I've heard people who used to be very connected to the Lord say how they don't need church. They found, they found meaning in other places. The writer says, that's not really a choice. We need to keep our attention on all that Jesus came to bring. The writer is saying that if the message declared through the angels was valid, and if every breach of that message brought punishment, then we should consider more seriously what Jesus came to bring. In the Jewish tradition, it was the angels who were believed to have been with Moses in the giving of the law and commandments. Paul tells us in Galatians how the law was ordained by the angels. Right before he is going to be stoned, Stephen describes the people in front of him as hostile. And he says that they received the law as delivered by the angels. And they didn't keep it. The writer is saying here that if the message is to be obeyed and we see the constant struggle between a holy God and a willful humanity in the Old Testament, how much more should we adhere to the gospel of Christ? The writer says that salvation as we know it first originated with Jesus. God so loved the world, Jesus said that whosoever would believe in him isn't going to perish, but is going to have eternal life. Jesus emphasized that everyone is actively loved by him, and his message is open to all who would receive it. He taught everyone who would listen. He spoke directly. He taught in parables. He fulfilled what was said about him. He did everything needed for us to trust in God. Then the writer of Hebrew says that those who walked with Jesus carried on that message after his ascension. When people asked the apostles, what is it that we need to do in order to be saved? They said, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Trust that he was raised from the dead. Trust that he can carry your sins. Trust that he is preparing a place for you. And then the writer says something interesting. God added his own testimony with signs and wonders and miracles. And we think about every answered prayer, every good gift, 
every glimpse of beauty, every healing, every transformed person, every changed situation is God saying, pay attention to me. I'm here. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. You're not alone. Cling to my son. Cling to Jesus. Fourthly, the writer says, God proclaims his presence through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This week, a friend told me something that God revealed to them in prayer for me. I asked for prayer on the prayer chain and this friend said, the Lord told me today there's going to be resolution in that situation in your life. That very day, everything changed. It's the will of God that we continue to see his presence as we act on the trust that we have in him. We don't only rely on human testimony. We don't have to. We rely on the evidence of the power of God all around us. This power confirms that Jesus is the king and he is ruling according to his will. He wants us to know him and serve him. This passage holds the first warning that's found in the book of Hebrews. If there was just penalty, if there was a just penalty, a fair penalty for ignoring the message of the angels, how are we going to escape if we don't heed what we know to be true about the message of Jesus? Jesus, who is greater. Jesus, who brings a magnificent salvation. Transgression here means stepping across a line. Disobedience here means being careless in hearing. In other words, it's the kind of inattentive listening which leads to misunderstandings. If that kind of listening continues, that means that there is an unwillingness to hear. The writer is keen to point out how disobedience is not fully listening to God, not focusing our attention to what God is saying. The warning is clear. We're not going to escape the penalty if we neglect the salvation we know from God who is actively trying to change us through it. No matter what our excuse is, and we're full of excuses, that's mostly what our neglect comes down to, isn't it? Excuses. Because we're going to all have to face the throne of Christ one day and explain what we did with the redemption that was so gracefully given to us, so freely given to us when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't pay the penalty for our sin. The word neglect in this passage is the same one Jesus uses in Matthew 22 when he tells the parable about the wedding banquet, about those who disregarded the chance to go to the wedding banquet of the king's son. Those people made light of the opportunity. They chose to disregard, ignore the invitation. They went about their business. They engaged in the activities of their choosing, ignoring the king who wanted so much for them to celebrate with him. Isn't this often how it is with us? Paying attention 
takes effort. Focusing on the kingdom of God means that those other things that we want to experience need to take a back seat or we need to let them go. Sometimes it isn't that we're in huge rebellion, but that little by little, the God who once was the center of our lives, we allow to move out to the edges until he isn't part of our lives at all. Whomever this book is written to must be slipping away from the strong attachment to Christ they once had. And our preacher here is telling them to take the message with more seriousness, lest they lose their moorings altogether. This week, I have been attempting to practice more listening to God's voice in moments of being overwhelmed, impatient, feeling distant from the Lord. This week, I have been practicing, attempting to practice more listening to God's voice in moments of being overwhelmed, impatient, feeling distant from Jesus, not knowing what to say when people were in crisis or angry. I've taken some time to sit in the presence of God, just simply to try and listen and hear what he would have to say, just to pay more attention to God's perspective and how I can access his assurance or his conviction to my heart and mind. I'm working on keeping my focus on him so I'm less distracted by the choices of others and the circumstances around me. As the writer says, we have to pay greater attention, not less. I can think of two main reasons for this. One is because Jesus, as the writer keeps telling us, is superior, is greater to anything else. And so vies for our worship and our energy and whatever we desire and however we are motivated, we must seek Jesus first. And the other reason is because the world is just so demanding of us. How much all of us are feeling this right now there's a lot of dissonance in our hearts and minds that makes us want to exert our control. There's so much pain surrounding us. All of us have had to give things up and experience griefs in this time. And we find ourselves working through the stages of grief without even perhaps realizing it or realizing why. We need to be anchored to Jesus. So in all that we're experiencing and feeling and working through and pivoting in, we cannot drift more apart from him, but that we can be more closely tied to him. I want to end with a quote from Ruth Haley Barton, who is a contemporary author and one who encourages a deep connection between God and his people. Here's what she says. If we are aware of our longing for a word from the Lord, we might ask ourselves, does my life allow for much listening? How much paying attention 
am I doing, really? Do I have enough give in my schedule to be able to turn aside and look when there's something going on that warrants it? If I haven't heard a word from the Lord in a while, could it be that I'm moving too fast? Could it be that I'm not taking the time to turn aside and look and listen? So let's go back to our original question. What is currently getting the majority of my attention? Where is your soul mostly focused right now? If you're drifting away from what you know to be true and good and right about Jesus, I exhort you to turn your focus back to him. He wants to be at the center of all you are and all that you do. He wants to give you hope and life and peace that's found only through him. He is our living God and greater than anything else that demands our attention. And in this moment, I want you just to, I just want to invite you to take a moment in silence before God right now. Even if you're with other people. Hopefully there'll be some music playing in the background and let's practice listening to God for who he is and what he has for us right now. God is always saying something to you. He's always wanting you to hear his voice. And in this time in our world, there's much conversation about listening to one another and not being so ready to give our own thoughts and opinions. So may we also practice that discipline in our walk with the Lord. So let us make the decision to take time to listen more deeply, giving Jesus our best times and moments and our full attention. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.